0: Okay, let's get into God's Word together. The series is called Root to Fruit. The um, point is God is growing us spiritually. Uh, He's growing Christian virtues in you and me gradually over time. Learning these fruit of the Spirit helps you to know what God's trying to make of you. We are on our third week of self-control. If you don't already feel immensely convicted that things need to grow in this area of your life, Wow. I mean, I feel totally like God has so much work to do in my heart on teaching me self-control. Uh, so all these sermons are available online and on our app if you haven't already heard them. I was greatly discouraged this week when I heard that the expert on self-control, the authority on the matter, wrote a book. His name is Walter Michelle. Check it out. Uh, he wrote a book called The Marshmallow Test. And he shared his own personal struggle with self-control. Wait a minute. He's the expert, and he can't control himself. Here's his story. Walter Michelle is the creator of the marshmallow test. Back in the 60s, he grabbed like four-year-olds, put them in a room, and uh, you probably have seen a YouTube video of this being done today. He did it first, where they put a marshmallow on the table, and they tell the child, you can have this now, or if you wait, I'll come back with two marshmallows and you just have to wait for it. And then they figure out if the kid scarfs down the marshmallow right away or waits for the second marshmallow. How many of you have seen that YouTube video of them trying that experiment? So this guy invented it. They have been tracking the first group of kids who did that. They're in their 50s now to see if there's a correlation between the kids who ate the marshmallow and the kids who waited. And guess what? Big time correlation. Michelle found that the longer a child was able to wait when they were five, the better the child would fare later in life at numerous measures of what we now call executive function or self-control. The child would perform better academically, earn more money, be healthier and happier. The child would also be likely to avoid a number of negative outcomes, including jail time, obesity, and drug use. All that was told to us by a marshmallow test when the child was five. The world sees the value of self-control uh, the more you have it, the better off you'll be. And the Bible sees the value of self-control. Hands down. You plus more self-control equals better life 100% of the time. You minus self-control equals worse life 100% of the time. The world is figuring this out. What was so fascinating about this study, though, is how the expert, Walter Michelle, who was pouring himself into this research, couldn't quit smoking. He's telling everyone about the values of self-control, but it bothered him that he was a a three-packs-a-day smoker supplemented by a pipe. The the cigarettes weren't even enough. He says he craved cigarettes every three minutes, and he gave his body what it wanted. He was so discouraged by this, he said he finally had a breakthrough um, when one day in the late 60s, he saw a man with metastasized lung cancer from smoking in the halls of Stanford's medical school. This man's chest was exposed, his head was shaved, and he had little green X marks all over his body, marking the points where radiation would go. It was then that Michel realized he was fooling himself. He had told himself he could keep himself from smoking if he wanted, but it was perfectly under control, keeping him calm, balanced, and focused. Uh, but he knew he was lying to himself. But when he saw that man uh, who was dying of lung cancer and going through drastic treatments, it was then and there that he realized he was lying to himself. Now, there are breakthrough moments like that where our behavior changes. Uh, There are breakthrough moments spiritually when we realize we have to change, And I think today what we're going to do is we're going to hone in on two practical areas for self-control. I don't want you to think the battle for self-control is this ethereal theological battle. Like, yes, I should be a more person who loves the needy more. Like, yeah, you should, but let's talk about some rubber-meets-the-road choices we make every day and learn self-control there, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll ask God to help us in this important area. Father, we thank you that you... Give us a guide, your Bible, the handbook for life. And there you have told us that a man without self-control is like a city without walls. We are completely defenseless. I ask that you would show us how to grow in self-control, mind, body, heart, spirit. We pray that we would continue to grow in self-control until our dying day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All of the verses from today's sermon will be projected, so you can write them down. This is a topical message so we are not even going to like dig down on the verses we share today for every word. That's how we usually do it. But we're taking a theme and tracing it through the Bible. So there's only two points. The first area where we need to grow in self-control is this. You can jot this down in your bulletin. We must display, important phrase, tremendous restraint with technology and media. Tremendous restraint. Why? Why? If we don't battle distraction, we will become unfruitful and unproductive in faith and life. If we allow screens, media, entertainment, distraction to take control of us, we will be spiritually unproductive and ineffective. This area out of control is at war with our faith. Um, so we need to understand how important it is to bring this under control. In Titus 2, 11 to 12, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Uh, that means that Jesus showed up and he saved us. And we are saved when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who appeared with salvation. But it didn't stop there. It says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live, here's our word, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Does this describe our usage of media, apps, social networking? Can it honestly be said that in the way we use media, we are renouncing ungodliness or are we embracing ungodliness? Are we displaying self-control or lack of self-control? Are we pursuing worldly passions, or are we turning away from worldly passions? Can it honestly be said that we are living upright, godly, self-controlled lives, and does that show itself in our use of entertainment? We have to display tremendous restraint, or we will end up being controlled and distracted. There are many who are mourning the fact that the circus is closing. Have you heard Barnum & Bailey Circus is closing for good? How many of you are sad about that? Have you ever been to the Barnum & Bailey Circus? So Time did a whole nice, sweet article on this idea. Interesting, though, that they tied this directly to the rise of smartphones and social media. It says this, Now our supply of stimulation is infinite, and our capacity for wonder is dwindling. Sex is everywhere. Entertainment is on demand. Nostalgic parents have been struggling for a couple of decades to hide their disappointment from their children after seeing what the circus has become, a deafening soundtrack of recorded music backing a dull program punctuated by strobe lights for shortened performances cut to internet attention spans, a rip-off of $6 snow cones and $20 flashlights. Meanwhile, the children have been struggling to understand why their parents would care, Nothing can compete with the circus that they hold in the palms of their hands. It's a fascinating reflection. Why is the circus, which would captivate an entire generation and even tempt people to run off with the circus as if that's the life, now be no longer amusing? It just shows that we live in an age where we demand stimulation, Uh, we, We demand to be enthralled and amused every moment. And if we say yes to our body's desire to constantly amuse and distract ourselves, it will carry us away from the good life that God has planned. We have to believe that God wants us to control this area. If we are controlled by mindless habits that suck hours out of our lives, we will end up feeling empty, alone, lazy, reluctant to serve others, and then overwhelmed when we get behind on our other responsibilities. This is not the good life. How then can we display tremendous restraint with technology and media? And let me reassure you, I am in this battle every day. Two teenage daughters, got a rambunctious son. My wife and I are both smartphone owners. It's only been 10 years since the iPhone came out. Can you believe it? And this is an ongoing fight. Uh, So we have to fight a winning battle uh, to make sure that we don't form unhealthy habits. Here's the first way we can. Set limits on time and selection. Set limits on how long we will use media and selection, what we will put in front of our faces. This is a gray area that's governed largely by conscience, So we can't get legalistic. I'm not going to give you a list of shows. Here's a list of shows that you should never watch, Christian. Oh, is my show on Pastor Ryan's list? Well, then maybe I shouldn't watch it. No, see, because what am I doing? Then I'm taking a gray area and I'm trying to make it black and white, which is the hallmark of legalistic churches, but we're not going to do that. Uh, Rather, we're going to challenge everyone to show tremendous restraint and exercise critical biblical thought. Uh, But there have to be limits in general. There are some in this room who exercise no restraint on what they watch or how long they watch or what they view. And let me just challenge, if that's you, if there's no restraint, if I told you, if I said, tell me some of the ways you decide what programs you won't watch. If you don't have anything, uh, you have lost the battle entirely. If you're watching exactly what the world is watching, if you never say no To media or entertainment, if hours and hours a day are being poured into this, you've lost the fight and I want to challenge you that it's time to repent of that because you're wasting your life and God has much more for you than that. But many people are fighting a winning battle. They're just trying to make sure that screens don't get too much control in the family or the marriage or the heart or whatever, right? You're doing pretty good. You might have a bad day uh, but but overall you're doing really well at managing the balance with media. Uh, Other people are fighting a losing battle with media. You haven't quite lost it yet, but if you look over the course of any month, you're mostly losing, which with how much you indulge in this or how little discernment you put into what you're watching. The programs, the nudity, the violence, the language. You really don't have much of a filter left, uh, and that's problematic. We have to display tremendous restraint with technology and media, and that starts when we set limits. Arguing with your conscience is like arguing with your smoke detector. I didn't burn dinner that bad. Your smoke detector doesn't care what you say because it smells it. Your conscience, you will know within the first few weeks of you picking up a new app or video game or TV, pro. your conscience will tell you beep, 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 beep. And, and it. You might say, well, yeah, I mean, I, but I have no problem now. Nope, you got to go back to when you first started. And if there were issues with conscience back then, maybe you took the battery out of your conscience and it's time to put it back in. We have to set limits on what we will watch. We have to set limits on how long we will devote to media. Um, in our household, we are constantly fighting this battle and trying to come up with ways to, you know, so we have a family media policy. We, we wrote it all out with screens, with video games and movies. Uh, smartphone rules, uh, and, and everybody has to sign it. And if you have a family, maybe that's where it starts. Hey, let's talk about our policy like no screens at the dinner table. Uh, one of our rules is no video games during the week at all. So video games are for weekends only, and knowing that that's a policy has helped us to win a thousand battles that would happen through the week, you know? I don't have to be like, are you done with your homework yet? It doesn't matter. There's just no video games during the week. You know, I... Uh, child of the 80s, grew up with the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Still enjoy video games. My son likes video games, 10 years old. So we'll sit down, and we'll play video games together. Not during the week. Um, and, you know, we even found that there's some video games we won't play because of the graphic content. There's some video games that are so fun, it's like crack. We get hooked together. And so we can't even have games in the house. Not because they're bad, but because we can't stop playing them. And so we had to get a video game out of the house altogether. So it's, my dad owns the same game though, because he's a big kid at heart. So I know when I go to his house, I can play it, right? <laughs> but then I got to come home and detox because it's so much fun. You know, this is just, we're imperfect in this and still struggling, but this is kind of how we roll. There are certain things that can't even be in the house if we're going to win the battle for balance. I want you to have some tools you can use to uh, make wise choices in what you or your kids watch. So if you don't know about this, there's a website uh, by Focus on the Family called Plugged In Online. They give reviews on everything. Movies, video games, uh, TV programs. So you can check that out. I would encourage you not to like read the review and then just be like, no. Like help your child to learn critical thinking by reading the review together. And then asking, do you think this is wholesome? Do you really think we should be putting this in front of our eyes? You know, what would Jesus think if he was sitting next to us watching this? Teach them to think uh, biblically and to discern things wisely. There's another uh, website called Common Sense Media. I don't even know if this is Christian or not. I don't think so. But they give you a lot more detail than the other websites. So I always, before we go to a movie that could be questionable, I always check it on these two sites. Before our family watches a movie, I always check it. And that can be a helpful tool for you. Just know that um, the entertainment industry is never going to stop trying to get you to overindulge in what they're producing. And they lie. Netflix Netflix CEO, I forgot his name, but he said this. Fundamentally, we're about eliminating loneliness and boredom. That's what entertainment does. No. It creates loneliness and boredom, my friend." So uh, we can't let that take over our home. Set limits on time and what you will and won't watch. And uh, if, if there's something you're ashamed to tell your Christian friends that you watch, guess what? There's a reason why. Set limits. Uh, next, start the battle every morning. We want to fight a winning battle. It doesn't matter How bad you failed yesterday, it doesn't matter how well you won the battle yesterday, the battle is new every morning. And every morning, uh, the world has prepared an entire banquet of media to set before your eyes. Uh, If you're not ready for the fight every day, you could quickly find yourself losing the battle. Um, Every day we have a choice and we can choose the fleeting thrill of the moment or we can choose the lasting joy of what? Of building true, genuine friendships instead of this shallow, selfish vanity that you find uh, often on social media. Trying to build up this artificial approval of my peers. My daughters joke with me and they tell me on some of these apps that you can be on social media, you have to enter a username, right? And then you can never change it. So, like in seventh grade, you know, they enter the username like Cassie Juju Gummy Bear 3. And then she's a senior in high school, and it's still Cassie Juju Gummy Bear 3, or a, whatever a seventh grader picked for their username. And it's embarrassing because I'm trying to tell people I'm not that childish, right? We've got to be careful that we win the battle and we don't just go for shallow, selfish vanity. Um, We need to win the battle and we need to go for a deep and abiding love for Jesus instead of a deep and abiding love for the world. When I think of how much we're loving the Lord, I think of how much time and attention we're giving him. Uh, And it makes me think of how this week, it was an amazing week, because at 7-Eleven, they had bring your own cup day. Did you know this? You can bring anything, as long as it's 10 inches uh, or less in diameter, anything and fill it with Slurpee. It was only Friday and Saturday, so you missed it. But I didn't miss it. Check it out. Here's me and the kids at 7-Eleven filling up our whatevers with Slurpees. I brought a coffee pot. (laughs) Cassie brought a pitcher. Jared brought a big old cookie jar. And Ellie brought a cup from Six Flags, I think. We were so happy. But... Imagine life is like going up to the Slurpee machine, right? And you can walk up to the world and just fill your heart like a bucket with everything the world is producing for you. You can walk over to the Lord and fill your heart with everything He has for you. And too often what people do is they walk up spiritually and they just get a little dab. Just just a little bit. Like, "Ah, I'll do five minutes of devotions in the morning and I'm done. And then the rest of the day, it's just they're filling their hearts with what the world is producing. And it shouldn't be that way. Too many people aim for the bare minimum of what Jesus is offering and the maximum that I can get away with of what the world is producing. In 1 Peter 2.11, it says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, you know what that means? That means this world is not your home. To abstain from the passions of the flesh. Which wage war against your soul. Are you winning the battle? The battle will start tomorrow morning. Are you gonna win or lose? Set limits on time and selection. Start the battle every morning. And next, embrace accountability. Probably the single most uh, likely factor to determine if something in your life is really about to change uh, versus if it's gonna be a, you know, fleeting phase is if you let other people hold you accountable. Meaning you're honest with the people around you about your true spiritual condition. You tell them you need help. It's not this private solo act. You actually tell people you need help and you're honest when you fail. If I'm allowing nothing to threaten my sin, I will experience everything painful God has promised. If I'm allowing no one to threaten my sin, I will experience everything painful God has promised. I need accountability. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I'm going to leave that intentionally vague. But if we add up your usage of media how you portray yourself on apps, if we add up how much of the world you're pouring into your life, could it be easily said that you love the world or could it be easily said that you don't love the world? It's a very simple test. Embrace accountability. The truth is that screens reveal the cravings of our heart. And if you get down to basement bottom of what we're actually going for with our usage of media uh, or social media, You'll find spiritual fights. We want affirmation in community. Uh, We want people to like us. We want a sense of identity and definition of who we are. We want security and stress relief. We want joy and gladness. And the problem is when we look to screens and media to provide this, we betray our true spiritual needs. Because we'll never find them there. Number one, display tremendous restraint with technology and media. Number two... We must display tremendous restraint with our bodies, with our bodies. Uh, Several areas we can talk about with this, but when it comes to the body, too often we don't assume the battle for the body is a spiritual fight. We don't think God really cares about our diet or weight or what we drink. We don't think it's really a big deal, you know, if we're unhealthy or, uh, and that would be wrong. Uh, We should read our Bibles better because Satan goes for the body first, not last. Where did Satan aim in the Garden of Eden when he was going to throw all of humanity against the Lord into disarray? Where did he aim? The stomach. Yeah, the stomach. Because through the food, the person becomes self-indulgent and self-reliant. That's all he needs to throw humanity to hell. That's it. A self-reliant, self-indulgent heart. And you might think, well, yeah, that was at the beginning, but there's a whole lot of different sins now that he can choose from, right? Uh, When Satan had the chance to throw the Lord of the universe into rebellion, Jesus, and he tempted him in the wilderness, where did he go first? Turn these stones food. If he could get Jesus to rely on himself To break his fast, he needed to break the fast before he could get further. Uh, We need to learn this, Christians, we need to learn this, that losing the battle for the body is losing the spiritual battle. We've got to win the fight for self-control of our appetites. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, it says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises, here's our word, self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He talks about life as a race or a boxing match, and he says, I'm not a foolish athlete. If they need to get their bodies ready to win a wreath or a crown, In an earthly contest, I need to get my body ready for the spiritual struggle, or I'm going to fail. And in the NIV, I think he says, I beat my body and make it my slave. And that has to be our attitude, because if we don't beat our bodies and make it our slaves, it will enslave us to obey it as a slave driver. If we don't battle the body, we will end up being drained of energy, distracted in life, Dull to the Lord, deaf to the cries of a dying world, chasing after what our body demands of us. Uh, Blaise Pascal called this life of living for the bodily appetites, licking the earth. What a graphic image, like it's a popsicle. Licking the earth, trying to get dust to satisfy us. And that's our life, if we foolishly allow the cravings of the flesh to dominate how we live. Uh, how do we display tremendous restraint with our body? Well, first, you can write this down. We have to win the battle with food and with fitness. We have to win the battle. This battle will never go away, but we need to decide in our hearts that we're gonna be healthy people, that we want healthy habits, that we just won't totally let go uh, when it comes to our body, and that we're actually gonna win this fight. This struggle is so hard. Because people keep dreaming up new ways to tempt us. Am I right? Check it out. Behold, I give you hot diggity dog Pringles. (laughs) What? Hot diggity dog Pringles? You know what would be better than unhealthy Pringles? Mix them with a hot dog. Yeah! That got approved. And I kind of want some. I'm going to admit that. I was driving through the Carpathian Alps with Pastor Mark in Romania and we stopped at a gas station in the middle of nowhere in Romania and they had bacon Pringles and I bought them. They were fantastic. People keep thinking this stuff up. That's what makes it so hard to be healthy. I was at a party once where they had a chocolate fountain. Have you ever seen a chocolate fountain? Oh, they put some fruit out there to make it seem healthier. I'll use fruit in my chocolate fountain. Then they put the marshmallows right next to the fruit, right? You could be naughty and nice at the same time. I was walking up to this chocolate fountain, and I accidentally stepped on the cord, and it fell over. And there was a guy in a nice white shirt who caught it. He caught it. I didn't know that I had knocked it over yet. I was like, whoa, and he caught it. And I mean, he got covered in chocolate. He's sitting there, and it's gushing all over him. So then I stepped back and looked down and saw that I did it. (laughs) And I walked away. (laughs) I mean, I just left. (laughs) There was nothing I can do. I feel really bad for him. But I'd like to think that I helped everyone at that party to learn more (laughs) self-control. Look what could happen to you if you overindulge in the chocolate fountain. We have to win the battle with food and fitness, and the world is doing nothing to help us with that battle. There are plenty of techniques out there that the world could give you that work. They help. Many of these have helped me, right? Sign up for a 5K. Yeah, three years ago, four years ago, I did that. It was fantastic. Join a gym. Find a workout buddy, you know? Um, Counting calories always works well for me because it just forces you to be honest with what you're putting in your body. Very humbling to actually write down how many calories you're eating in a day. Every single time. So what I do is when I start counting calories, uh, I force myself to eat the way I would normally eat, right? Before I actually start behaving. And I am shocked and appalled at what my body demands of me. Uh, and so that that all works. But here we are at a church in the house of the Lord with the Bible. What different thing can can God bring to our fight with food and fitness that the world can't. I would just say this, um, we have to tie it to our faith. We have to tie it to our faith. You'll have the biggest breakthrough in your sense of health and wellness when you realize two things. First of all, and these are the biggest breakthroughs I had. Many years I had do I practically nothing to pursue health and wellness. I just had a good metabolism and thought that's all I need, you know, Um, But the two things that I think are big awakening moments would be, first of all, God cares. God cares if we're healthy, and he will reward that. God cares if we're unhealthy. Tie it to God's pleasure on your life. If you're convinced that God doesn't care how you take care of your body, you're fooled. And why would you bother trying? Because God doesn't care, but he does. He will reward your obedience, strengthen your faith, and teach you character through this discipline. He will. Second, Uh, your disobedience and mine will have consequences. It doesn't matter if you pray for those chicken nuggets. Doesn't matter. It doesn't work. Just stop. (laughs) If if you, and this is where I have to be a little more serious and severe as your pastor, because there have been some people in recent days in our church who have had life-threatening medical emergencies directly tied to poor lifestyle. So can I say I love you? Can I say I love you? And I'm going to tell you the truth. if if your family has a history of heart disease, if you're a chronic smoker, let me just tell you this. God will not save you most of the time from the consequences of your neglect. 99% of the time, you will reap what you sow. And if you think somehow that in 10 or 15 or 20 years that you're just gonna pray away the cholesterol, most of the time, you will reap what you sow. Listen, I need to say it clearly. God will not prevent the consequences of your neglect from coming upon your life. You choose to sin, you will choose to suffer, and God will not save you. These words could save your life, and I need to say that because there's a lot at stake. We have to win the battle with food and with fitness, and we can't fool ourselves into thinking God doesn't care, and he'll just somehow magically make these nuggets work for me. He won't. We have to win the fight. I hope you receive that in the heartfelt spirit that I'm giving it. We have to ask ourselves too, what is the spiritual fight down in the core of our being? Why are we running to food? Why? It's really a simple equation. We're restless or anxious or afraid or bored, and we make a deal that food will help. See, what we're saying is, right now I need more of me taking care of me. In other words, I've already done... Uh, a healthy amount of caring for myself, but there's still more needs. Where do I go with that emotional need, right? And and if we say, well, more food would do it, right? That fails. That backfires. It doesn't work. Understand that down deep in our hearts, we're coping with spiritual problems using food and substances. That's what we're doing, and we're coping poorly. We have to win the battle and understand that it is a spiritual fight. It's either a fight with self-reliance, which means I'm you know, working myself ragged, trying to keep my life together. And so then I'm supplementing with all of this fuel that I shouldn't need. Um, Or I'm fighting a losing battle with self-indulgence, meaning if I could just get some rest, if I could just get some peace and calm and quiet and sit down and eat a cookie, then I would be... No, we're seeking uh, what only Jesus can provide for us. And we're using substances to do it. Maybe you're fighting a winning battle with food and fitness Maybe you're fighting a losing battle. Maybe you've lost the battle altogether. There is hope God can change this area of your life. You have to bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You have to. You have to do it for him. He is your motive. You have to do it with him. He is your method. Then things will change. Um, And let me just caution you that maybe you had a great year. Maybe you're like, I'm feeling pretty good about what I see in the mirror. Uh, Caution, your body can become an idol and an obsession The world is preaching that your body is the primary project and that's a false gospel. So if you're having a good year, remember, modesty is a form of self-control too, right? Modesty, meaning what you restrain to uh, display, is also a form of self-control. So celebrate if you're in a great season of victory in this area, but don't let it become an idol. Win the battle with food and fitness. I hope I've rekindled your hope on that area. Next, win the battle with drink and substances. This includes alcohol, pain pills. This includes any substance we put into our body. Um, this is a serious point. You see, you could tell me that I'm struggling by spending more time on Netflix than I should, and I would be slightly concerned for your soul, but I would confess that I've been there frequently, right? You could tell me that you struggle with food, and I'd say, yeah. I ran a marathon last year and I lost no weight. <laughs> you know how I did that? Deep dish pizza. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can get one area of fitness under control and still fail to get another area. So, But if you're telling me that you struggle with substances, uh, different story. There's, there's almost no middle ground there. It's not like you can convince me that you're having a good week managing your painkiller addiction. No such thing. There is almost no middle ground when you struggle with substances. Either you win or you lose. And if you lose, you lose it all. You could be, you could be getting an A-plus in every area as a mother, but if alcoholism takes root in your heart, you're done. It's over. You could be the perfect wife ever, but if you get hooked on painkills, you're done. It's over. It's going to consume everything else. This is a serious matter, and Christians struggle with it. We have to get to the heart of the struggle with substances. Um, And there are many ways that we can get hooked on substances. Some of the avenues to getting hooked on substances are understandable. You have a surgery, you need to take pain pills to manage the pain, blah, 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 but then three years later, I'm still on the stuff, okay? So there can be good ways to get to this bad place. But first of all, we have to get to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is this. If you struggle with substances, it is because deep in the heart of your being, you are protesting God's sovereign rule of your life. He's saying pain, you're saying no. He's saying this is going to be hard, and you're saying no, it won't. You are refusing to let God's pain of you facing reality grow your faith and your character. If you don't get that struggle with substance is a protest a clenched fist of what God is trying to do in your life you'll never get fixed the fight may never end for you but you can fight a winning battle but it has a spiritual root will you humbly say to the Lord I know this pain of facing reality and admitting I need help is going to be hard but I accept it that is the turning point right there that's it And there are so many ways that you can get help. Sometimes Christians think, oh, I prayed about it and nothing ever changed, so I'm giving up. No, you may have been great in prayer, but you lacked wisdom. See, there are so many ways that you could seek help. Uh, The world has figured out many ways to help people with alcoholism or substance abuse problems. You need help. And if you're not humble enough to tell people you need help, if you're trying to just do it alone, then it won't get fixed. We need community. We need support. The truth is, we cannot build a spiritual life. Imagine that like being a tower, like a skyscraper. God wants to build a whole lot spiritually into your life, right? But honestly, the foundation for all that spiritual growth is mental and emotional and physical wellness. If mentally there's a problem you struggle with, Uh, you know, like, heaven forbid, schizophrenia or something. Listen, you can't build a spiritual life when the mind is not balanced properly. So there are Christians who need to get medical help to get a, a level playing field before they can build their life up spiritually because the spiritual is built on the physical. Emotional. There are Christians who have severe emotional struggles with anxiety and depression, and they're in denial right? But you can't build up a solid spiritual life if the emotions are constantly off balance. Your spiritual life is going to keep falling over. The same is true with the body. If you have a chemical dependency, you're building on a crooked foundation. And you can keep trying to build, go to church, go to small group, right? And then it's all going to fall over because you haven't dealt with the physical off balance that's at the heart of it all. The body, the mind, uh, the, the emotions have to be regulated and sometimes that requires professional help to get to that point. Otherwise, everything else is going to keep falling over. We must win the battle with drink and substances. In 2 Timothy 1.7, we get a lot of hope. If this is a struggle in your life, I want you to know you should bring it to the Lord immediately. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you when you got saved. And he is there to help. But he's going to do it through other people. And it's going to take time. You've got to be honest with other people about your true spiritual condition. And if you need help in this area, let me just challenge you. Do it today. Tell the truth today. Reach out today. You can't afford to go another day fighting a losing battle with substances. We have to display tremendous restraint with our bodies. Win the battle with food and fitness. Win the battle with drink and substances. And finally, and a little more lightheartedly, win the battle with sleep and stress. So often, struggles we have in life, in marriage, in parenting, can be cured with a good night's sleep. Cranky people, take a nap. You might want to tell your spouse that this week when you're about to go nuclear hey hey take a nap you didn't get much sleep last night moms of young children newborns perhaps don't worry you're not going to feel this way forever you just need sleep and I know how you're feeling when you don't get sleep right (laughs) sleep is so necessary in our spiritual battle. Sleep is a spiritual issue that's directly tied to our faith. If we don't sleep, we're not willing to face our own limitations. We want to wring more pleasure or more work out of the day than we should righteously do. You know, we're not humble enough to say, I can go to bed and God's still in charge. It's a battle with pride, self-reliance, self-indulgence if we don't get enough sleep, right? I know there are some people who will immediately come up to me and say, I am a night owl. What are you doing at three in the morning? Nothing good. All right, go to bed. Go to bed. Your parents sleep trained you and you were like this many, okay? So if you need them to do it again, give them a call. But a disciplined, routine habit of sleep is one of the best ways to cheer your soul. <laughs> How pathetic are we as humans? We go one day If you try to stay up one whole day without sleep, we turn into a bunch of drunken sailors, right? I mean, we're just like, oh, I'm so tired. I can't even stand up straight. I'm like, really? I heard that wild elephants only sleep two hours a day. Isn't that awesome? That's all they need. And then off they go. Our bodies are going to render us forcefully unconscious for a third of our lives. That's really pathetic, right? That's how God made us. And if we don't look at manufacturer's specifications and say, oh, I need a good, you know, seven, eight hours of sleep a night, huh? If we don't realize that, there's going to be wear and tear on our marriage, on our kids, on our jobs. And um, I would just say that we've got to get this area under control. A lot of people got in trouble in the Bible because they were sleeping too much or at the wrong time. So there's, The struggle of getting enough sleep, and then there's the struggle of getting too much sleep. You know, in the Bible, I can think of some people who got in trouble for sleep. Eutychus, Paul was preaching up in this upper room. Eutychus was sitting in the window, and he fell asleep, fell out of the window, and died in the Bible. Paul had to run down and bring him back from the dead because he fell asleep during a sermon. Check your neighbor. (laughs) Hazardous to your health. There were others Right? Peter, James, and John got in trouble three times because they kept falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Samson, strongest man in the Bible, got in trouble when? Sleeping, when he was sleeping on Delilah's lap. Lost his hair, eventually lost his eyes because he fell asleep at the wrong time. There was also, what's his name, General Sisera. Remember that story, Jael and Sisera? I'm not going to tell it. Those of you who know it, though, pink, pink. General Sisera died a horrible death because he fell asleep while being pursued in battle. Sleep is hazardous to your soul. If you get too much of it, too little of it, we've got to keep the balance so that we don't have an unnecessary battle with fatigue and anger. So, go to bed. I'm preaching. Go to bed. You might want to preach that to your children tonight. Get in bed! Or to your spouse. But displaying tremendous restraint with our body includes sleep. Let me close this sermon out by saying this. I read an amazing quote in Christianity Today this week where David Mathis wrote this. The key to self-control, listen, is not inward, but upward. Christian self-control is not about bringing our bodily passions under our control, but under the control of Christ. That's true. God wants you To bring your viewing habits under the strong and satisfying control of Christ. God wants you to bring your eating habits, your spending habits, your sleeping habits under the strong and satisfying control of Christ. Talk to Jesus about this. Humble yourself before Him, rely on Him, depend on Him. And you will see that he alone can tame your wild and worldly heart. Let's pray. Jesus, we do pray for your divine power. You have already given us everything necessary, everything for godliness. And we draw on that. We ask humbly, that you would teach us self-control. We only covered two common areas of the fight today, screens, media, food. And yet, how many battles we will face with those two areas starting tomorrow morning. We pray, Lord, for every area that you would help us in our relationships, our finances, and everything, to grow in self-control. We humbly admit that our appetites, our passions, our desires, our longings try and take over And we have failed and fallen, and we've had to dig ourselves up out of our hole time and again. So help us, O Lord, in our weakness. Teach us self-control so that we might live for your glory, delighting ourselves in you so that you can give us the desires of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.